Welcome to the James River Church Podcast. You're about to hear another inspirational message. It's our prayer that this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. Well, welcome to church today. Oh, man, I love that I get to be back in the house. And uh, every time I'm here, you guys are like rabbits. There's more campuses popping up everywhere, all the places. And it is so exciting. In fact, for those that were here with a show of hands, Joplin campus, anyone at the North campus, online in this room by a show of hands, how many were here at Design Sisterhood on Friday? Oh, wasn't that a turn up for Jesus? Oh, we had such a good time. Well, I ended that message by sharing a story with a woman that I met in 2017 at Design for Life in the Arena. Uh, that story was of a woman by the name of Miranda. And God, as I was praying and preparing for that weekend to preach, God dropped a name in my heart. God dropped a, a situation in my heart. And that night I was able to pray with this young woman by the name of Miranda. And God was so good. I sensed in my heart that Miranda, who was so burdened and so heavy and so sad that her mom was so ill, plagued with cancer, that she couldn't even be at Design for Life that year. We prayed in faith, and I just believed that God was gonna do a work in her mom's life. I didn't know what that work was, but we prayed in faith that God would touch Miranda's mom. And in 2019, two years later, I was here at, in this building at a design sisterhood night, and Miranda was there with her mom, who had made a full recovery, was in remission from cancer. And I just love being able to witness and test and be a testament for God's moving hand. Well, the story doesn't stop there. In the economy of God, we always level up. A Miranda sister-in-law was here on Friday night, texted Miranda and said, hey, be sharing your story. Miranda slid into my DMs and was just like, I have an update. Mom is still cancer-free. And we just bought a huge plot of land where my grandma, my mom, me and my family, we all get to live together and mom is still well. So tell me that God just coincidentally just so happened to bring me to Springfield in 2017 and now in 2021 get to share what God is doing. And um, as we open up today's word, I want you to hold on to this one concept, this one thought that nothing just happens. Church, let me be the first one to tell you if you haven't heard that American idiom, that American expression, nothing just happens. We serve a God who will use every pit, every pain, every pressure, and every person for God's good glory and for our good, okay? We're gonna go into that, but I love that we get to start with the story of a woman by the name of Miranda and dive into a story of a woman by the name of Ruth. The thing is, is, is we're gonna discover in the pages of scripture an Old Testament book. It's only, it's only four chapters, four chapters. You guys are Bible scholars. This is a learned church who loves the Bible, and Pastor John is a scholar of scholars who brings you the word of God to purely every Sunday. And so this book is sandwiched in the old pages of uh, the pages of the Old Testament. It's only four chapters. Your assignment this week, your homework this week is to read Ruth, okay? It's only four chapters. You got it, Bible scholars. So uh, pull out your notebook, pull out your Bibles, and turn with me to the book of Ruth. And as you do that, here's a little 30,000-foot 30, 30, view as we go through the book in this message, is that there's this woman by the name of Ruth who lost home and husband, and in many cases, hope. And yet in the pages of her scripture, we will discover that nothing just 
happens. See, now here's the thing, that's easy to say, but hard to believe, right? And so I learned a fabulous lesson on watching a show called Chop. My husband says, reality TV is trash. And I was like, the spirit of God spoke to me on the Food Network show Chop. So I'm gonna bring that revelation to you today. How many people uh, out there like to cook and like the, the Food Network? Yes, how many people have seen that show Chop? Raise your hand. Joplin, I better see hands in the spirit, okay? Listen. You don't get these thighs by eating celery, okay, friends? So I was watching the show, and if you're not familiar with the show, there are four chefs that go head-to-head -head in a cooking competition. There is a basket of mystery ingredients for every round, and you're supposed to make a delectable meal of epic proportion using the mystery basket ingredients. Well, this one episode, the four chefs go head-to-head, -head and they open up the mystery basket, and inside is vinegar a jar of old bacon grease, and pre-cooked, pre-fried shrimp. Well, the judges were stumped, but one chef, excuse me, the, the chefs were stumped, but the one chef, she went to business. She didn't even have to bat an eye. She threw some bacon grease in a pan, started frying it up, and sprinkled in some flour. For those that like to cook or are familiar with Southern or French cuisine, what she was making is a roux, which is equal parts animal fat, equal parts flour. Well, there's a panel of judges off to the side, and the judges automatically with their commentary were saying, oh, what she's making is a, a roux. It's going to be used possibly for a stew. And, and the commentary was going on. And as the commentary was going on, the judges had a lot of opinions about this girl's roux. Because the roux began to change colors. It went from like a cream color to a tan color to a caramel color to a peanut butter color and then to a dark color, like a dark chocolate. Well, the aerial view is giving a view of the pan and the chefs were running their mouths saying, the roux is ruined. You can't use this roux. It's bitter. It's burned. It's going to ruin the meal. Without even missing a beat, the chef goes and grabs some onions, garlic, celery, and dewy sausage, crawfish, some more shrimp to the glory of God, and she is going to business. See, what the judges didn't realize is that this girl was from Louisiana, and her mama taught her how to make some mean gumbo. And mama taught her, listen, other people will look at this roux and say that it's ruined, but let me tell you something, child. It is the burn pieces, it is the charred pieces that will add to the flavor and complexity of this dish. Let me tell you something, church. What she said in the natural, I heard in the spiritual. I was like, this girl fixing to preach. I wanted to take off my high heel, throw it at the television and be like, yes, God, you're speaking to me. See, the judges of your life will look at you and tell you, your rule is ruined, your life is ruined. Don't tell people about the burn part of your life. Don't tell people about the bitterness about your life. But I have been brought here to tell you that nothing just happens. And our good God, the master chef, will use even the burnt and broken pieces of your life to craft a meal of epic proportion. See, our sister Ruth, as we will discover, is Ruth had a rule to her life as well. It was equal parts pain and equal parts hope. Today, I hope wherever you are that we are going to get some soul food today, not Southern cuisine, food to feed our soul. Let's open up God's word with a word of prayer. Spirit of God, we invite you into this place. We welcome you here. We say, have your way. Will you open up our ears? Will you open up our hearts? God, will you open up our minds to hear a word from you? I pray that if there's any, uh, anything that's not of you in this message, Lord God, remove it. And may I just speak directly to your people in the mighty name of Jesus. And the church says, amen. Joplin, I want to hear you say amen. Online, I want you to put two praise hands emojis in the chat box, okay? Now, did you pull out your Bibles and your notebooks and turn with me to Ruth? 
Yes, half of you did, praise God. All the carnal Christians who were too lazy to read their Bible, it's okay. I put the verses on the screen for you today, yes. So we're gonna start off in verse three of chapter one, but here's a little uh, synopsis of what happens in the first two verses. There's a man by the name of Elimelech. Uh, Elimelech was living in a town of Bethlehem. Bethlehem is uh, referred to as house of bread in Hebrew, but Elimelech had a problem. The house of bread had a famine. That's ironic. Well, Elimelech didn't want his family to die, so he left God's chosen community, God's house of fellowship. He left God's people and he went to a town called Moab. Now, if you study scripture, Moab is not where God's people go, okay? It's referred to in Lamentations and also in Psalms as the wash basin for the Lord. It is a no good city and no good you want to be there. Think of it as a cross between like Vegas and Bangkok, okay? People turning up, it's a party all the time. People got an attitude, they worship a God called Chemosh that would sacrifice your babies too. I mean, it was a city no good Jew wanted to be. Well, we're gonna pick up their story and we're gonna discover some ironic and tragic news. You should be in verse three of chapter one. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. Friends, why did he leave Bethlehem? Not to die, and guess what happened? He died, this is ironic, this is sad. And then she was left with her two sons. Now, they, both, they took wives of the women of Moab, the name of one was Orpah, the name of the other was Ruth, and they dwelt there about 10 years. Then Malon and Kilion, side note, those names in Hebrew mean death and dying. It's like naming your two sons uh, SARS and coronavirus, because they're gonna get, you know, it's not a good, not a good destiny here, friends. Well, what happens, they also die. So the women survived, her two sons and her husband. Say this with me, church, nothing just happens. The story starts off with death, depression, and three destitute women. Ruth's husband is dead. Ruth's father-in-law is dead. Ruth's brother-in-law is dead. These three women, their hopes and their dreams are buried three times over, six feet under. This is a no good situation. Naomi, the matriarch, the mother of the family, all hell had broken loose in her life. Her hopes, her dreams, her ambitions are gone. And maybe you feel like you are at that point today. Maybe you feel like Naomi, where you were living in Bethlehem, the house of bread, and now you are living in Moab, where your family is dead, as well as your dreams. And I've been brought here to tell you that that is okay, that it's okay to not be okay. Because Naomi's about to have a great conversation in her community. And if you've come here to the community of God, let me be the first one to welcome you home. And Naomi, as we discover, as you will discover as you read your homework in Ruth chapter two, she has an honest conversation. When she makes it back to Bethlehem, when she makes it back to the, 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 the house of bread, she says this, don't call me Naomi, which means sweet and pleasant. She said, call me Mara, because I am bitter. The Lord has dealt bitterly with me. Maybe that's the place where you're at, where you feel like, oh, I'm, I'm so old. I feel like the ship has left the dock. Or maybe you're here today and you're like, like Naomi, I had so much, I went away full and now I'm coming back empty. Maybe you're like, I, I went away to college and then the pandemic happened and I had to come home. Or I moved to Springfield for a job and I lost my job. Or I thought I was gonna be married and my spouse had an affair. You are not alone. See, pain is the company keeper that brings people together. Pain is the thing that allows you to relate to one another. Perfection isn't the thing that bonds people, pain does. And let me tell you something, God will do more with your struggles than he will with your successes. 
God will use your burnt pieces, your broken pieces, and your bitter pieces to add to the complexity and the flavor of your life, okay? And Ruth, Naomi, and Orpah, the three women, those that were still living, see, they had a bond, and that bond was pain that brought them together. And so somewhere in the road between Moab and Bethlehem, in a hot, dusty desert road, she has a meltdown. She says, go back home, I have nothing to give you. Maybe that's the point where you feel like you're at, where the clock is ticking and you can't do anything to stop it. Maybe you were staring in the mirror and you were like, I'm closer to the sunset years of my life than the sunrise years of my life, if you know what I'm saying. Maybe you feel like I have the, the vision, but I don't have the time. I have the youthful spirit, but my knees are creaking and my back is aching and I'm tired. What if it, what if, maybe you're here today and you feel like, like the opportunity has passed. Let me remind you that nothing just happens. God hasn't made a mistake. God is not sleeping on the job. God knows where you are. God knows who you are. God knows how old you are. God knows how young you are. God knows about your past and God is writing your future. God knows about your failed marriage. God knows about the affair. God knows about your broken heart. God knows about the shady business deal. God knows about your empty womb. God knows about your dreams. God knows about your nightmares. God knows when you're awake. God knows when you're asleep. God knows who has betrayed you. God knows when you are broke. God knows when you got bills. God knows when you're bougie. God knows when your child's illness, and God knows, oh Lord Jesus, about our weight gain, okay? Because that corona, corona 19 is a real thing, all right? That's in 19 pounds of gained weight, friends, okay. But we need to understand nothing just happens. Look at Ruth chapter 1, verse 14. Then they lifted up their voice, they lifted up their voices and they wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. See, Orpah witnesses this meltdown and then she walks away. She goes back to her home. Now, I don't want to paint a negative picture of Orpah. Let me just clarify, she wasn't supposed to do the journey with them. But I want to pause and recognize that if people can leave you in the moment of crisis, let them walk. Tell them, boy, bye. Your destiny is not tied to the person who abandoned you. Your destiny is not tied to the person who walked out of you. And I have seen so many people saying, oh, well, I have to stay in this business or I have to stay to be her friend or his friend, and they're doing you dirty. Listen, if they could leave you, let them walk. And you know who taught me this powerful principle? It's not just Orpah, it's my daddy, because he has the spirit of goodbye, okay? My dad, my dad, I remember I was dating this guy uh, for three years. It was a dysfunctional relationship. Um, I refer affectionately to him as Satan, so we're fine, we're fine, we're over that now, but <laughs> listen, y'all, I gotta upgrade. I married Matt Oltoff, can I get an amen, okay? <laughs> But I was in this dysfunctional relationship with a man I affectionately referred to as Satan, and my dad came in after like our fourth breakup, and he's just like, oh, no, 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 no. You do him a favor, and you tell him, no, 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 I'll do you a favor, and you don't see the God potential in my life, you don't see the destiny of my life, you don't see what God's called me to, no problem. Tell him goodbye. And I had a conversation with this guy, and I said, I might be too much for you, but brother, you ain't enough, okay? And that is a word for a single sister in here, all right? Stop trying to connect yourself to that Lazarus. He's dead and you ain't Jesus, all right? Let the man go. Let the man go. Uh-uh. I want to remind us that nothing just happens. 
Why? Because Orpah left, but Ruth, oh, Ruth on the other hand, she stayed with Naomi. And I'm gonna ask a question for Joplin, North Campus, West Campus, online, by a show of hands. How many of us have heard this phrase, either at weddings or taught at church or in a Bible study, where you go, I will go, your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. By a show of hands, how many have heard of that? Yeah, wonderful, great, I'm sure online. God sees your hands going up too. Here is my hesitation. Here is my question mark. Every time that people read that, it's almost as if this, it's this poetic piece of poetry, which it is, it's beautiful, it's amazing, I love it so much. But when we dispense it, when we teach it, when we exegete it, it's like read with like the Queen's English, like, where you go, I shall go. Your people shall be my people and your God shall be my God. Like this isn't Downton Abbey, okay? What we know about Ruth is that she's from Moab, all right? She's not from the UK, she's not a proper Brit. So in my mind's eye, if you study Moab, you will discover it was a crazy area. And yet we read this book like it's hygienitized and perfect and polished and pretty and Ruth's eyes didn't touch. Listen, y'all, she was from Moab. She got some big old hoop earrings, her nose is pierced, she got an attitude. She's an Old Testament Cardi B, all right? She's like, uh-uh, mommy, listen, listen to me. You can leave, but I'm coming with you. Oh, uh-uh. your God will be my God. Your people shall be my people. Ah, all right? How do you read your Bible, all right? But that decision, that conversation, those phrases, guess what that was? a decision for her destiny. She chose that day to have Yahweh, the one true God, be her God. And it's not just for people who are perfect and polished and pretty and speak Christianese. Hello, God bless you, hallelujah, amen. God is good all the time and all the time he's good. Ruth had a revelation. Your God is my God. Now, I'm sure that there's someone in here thinking, well, B, are you saying that that bad things were brought on by God? Like God was the one that initiated all this bad? We don't have time to talk about this big theological topic, but I know here at a Bible-believing church, a Bible-teaching church, church, Pastor John and many of the pastoral staff have addressed this issue, and I've taught on it before. Why do bad things happen to good people? We don't have time to fully unpack that, but this is what I could say in short order form that sin has entered the world and it's a broken world that breaks the heart of a good, caring God. But I also wanna tether this theology with Genesis 51, when Joseph has beautifully uttered, what you meant for evil, God used for good. I wanna utter the words of Paul in Romans chapter eight, that all things work together for good. I, I wanna utter the words of David in Psalm 37, when he says the steps of man are ordered by the Lord. I wanna utter the words of, from the prophetic book of Joel, Joel 2:25. the years that the locust has eaten, I will restore says the Lord. So let your pain have a purpose. God, guys, let me tell you, nothing just happens. So Ruth and Naomi, they make it back to Bethlehem, and, and Ruth, may not, she, don't, she doesn't have a home. She doesn't have a job. They don't have food. And so she says, I'm going to go grab a job. I'm going to get a job. I'm going to get us some food, and we're going to live. So let's pick this up. Turn with me to Ruth chapter 2, verse 3. When she left, 
and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to a part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was the, from the family of Elimelech. Now, we could read this, but as a bona fide Jew, remember I'm half a percent Jew, so I'm Jewish today, guys. Listen, we could read this and not think twice about it, but when you read the name Boaz, I need you to be like, whoa, Boaz rolls up on the scene and he's related to Elimelech, which means not Ruth and Naomi are part of his family. This is a good thing. Now, let me remind you that this English expression, this American idiom of nothing just happens, did you know that this is rooted in the concept of providence, meaning that God is over everything. Providence encompasses every aspect of created order, from beginning to end, from heaven to earth, from catastrophe to calm everything, from weeds to wheat, from day to night, from sunrise to sunset, from birth to death. Our good God is over everything. Baker's Dictionary for Theological uh, Definition says this about providence. In God's wisdom, power, righteousness, and love, he is hasteningly, slowly to work out his own eternal purposes for his own glory and our eternal good, for his glory and our good, for his glory and for our good. So what happens is Ruth finds herself coincidentally in a field belonging to a man named Boaz. Now your translation might say it just so happened or it so happened. Now, this phrase, this phraseology is like when we use expressions like, lo and behold, lucky chance, what a coincidence, what great fortune. If you're from California, we'd say, oh, karma was totally on her side. But what we're really understanding is that this is the hand of God. In the Old Testament, no other place is this phrase used, it just so happened. Why? It was an ancient writing device for ironic humor, tongue in cheek like wink wink. She, Ruth just so happened to be from Moab and just so happened to marry these great Jewish family and she just so happened to follow Naomi to the house of bread and she just so happened to say yes to her God and she just so happened to find herself in a field to work and she just so happened to find herself in a field working for a single rich distant relative. Hello single ladies in the house, all right? This is the type of man that you want to marry. If you are a single lady in the house, raise your hand and identify if you are looking for your Boaz. That's right. Single men, take note and take them to coffee. You're welcome. All right. Savannah said this on Friday, serve the house, find a spouse, friends. That's why we're here, okay? Friends, this isn't happenstance, circumstance, or chance. This is providence. And yes, I like to hip hop flow today, all right? God is over everything. And that is a central theme for the book of Ruth, that sometimes in scripture, God's hand will move visibly. Uh, the Red Sea will part, manna will fall from heaven, a burning bush will talk. But other times, like for me and probably for you, it's the invisible hand of God that is at play and at work in our life. And that's what we see in the book of Ruth, that she just so happened to find herself in this field. Look at verse three of chapter two. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. Arr! 
Boaz. When you hear the word Boaz, that should make you excited because the name Boaz means strength, valor, and integrity, all right? In the words of the 1990s hip-hop band Salt and Pepper, what a man, what a man, what a mighty, mighty good man. Yes, he is. Let me take a minute or two to give much respect to Boaz, all right? Because this man, he's about to save the day because nothing just happens. And as God was with Ruth working in that field, God is with you. As God was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego amidst the fiery furnace, God is with you. As God was with Daniel in the lion's den, God is with you. As God was with Barak and Deborah in the battle against the Philistines, God is with you. God is with us. Nothing just happens. It is all part of God's divine plan. So I want you to turn to your neighbor and tell them, God's got a plan for me. It was very lovely in this Midwest way, but I need you to turn to your other neighbor like you feel it, okay? Like you know that you know that you know God's got a plan for me. Tell your neighbor that. If you are not dead, then God is not done. Whatever God has predetermined will come to pass. There is not a man on earth, there's not a demon in hell that could thwart the plan of God for your life. Think. This is what we're going to do, church. I'm going to establish a hollerback culture. So I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to ask you to state a statement. And when I say this statement, you shout back with nothing. Are you ready? Okay. Think about your greatest moral failure and shout back nothing. Think about your greatest sin and shout back nothing. Think about your most horrific abuse and shout back nothing. Think about your lowest economic state and shout back nothing. nothing. Think about your greatest painful loss or death and shout back nothing. nothing. Think about the worst thing you've ever done and shout back nothing. nothing. Think about the person who betrayed you and shout back nothing. nothing. Think about the person who walked out on you and shout back nothing. nothing. Because nothing just happens. Four years ago. I had a dream in my heart to go into prisons. It was actually around the time that Pastor Debbie invited me in 2017 uh, to DFL. And God was birthing something in me. I looked around and I saw this amazing conference hosted for women and I knew that we had to take a similar experience and bring it into the incarcerated. And I wanted to create a beautiful experience with worship and teaching and food and beautiful gifts for the forgotten in prison who need to encounter Jesus. And I had shared this dream actually with Pastor Debbie and Project 12 and and DFL got behind and they were our first and largest funder for our ministry. So on behalf of In the Name of Love Prison Initiative, let me first say thank you. And secondly, we hosted uh, a conference in prison. And I met a wonderful woman by the name of Bridget. Some of y'all heard a little bit of Bridget's story, but I have an update on her story. But I met Bridget in, in, in prison and we hosted a beautiful conference. And after the conference, she came up to me and she said, I want Jesus as my savior. And I said, absolutely. And as I was talking to her, there was a couple um, inmates that were around that were snickering and laughing, kind of jeering and poking fun. What I later on come to find out was that Bridget was a brawler, okay? She's a gangster. She loved to throw blows. She was in there serving a 10-year sentence. But God spoke to her that day, and I didn't think I would ever see Bridget ever again. She was transferred to a maximum security prison. And six months into her stay at this maximum security prison, the warden, who is Christian, looked at her, brought her into his office and said, there's been a big change in your life. I wanna let you know that the person that you came in as is not the person that you are now. We wanna inform you that you are gonna serve six more months here to fulfill half of your prison sentence, but you're being released early. Do not forget what a gift God has given you. Yeah. 
But the beautiful thing is that the economy of God, we only level up. She was released on a Thursday, and that Sunday from Google, she found a local church, and she walked into a church much like this, and she sat in the back much like this, and during worship, much like we just experienced, she's sitting there with anxiety and fear of thinking, if people knew my past, if people knew where I came from, if people knew what I did, they wouldn't want me to be here. And during worship, with hands raised and people praising God, she turns to her left, and who does she see? the prison guard that she beat up in prison, who stands to her feet, walks over to Bridget and embraces her with a hug. And she said, you are not an inmate, you're my sister in Christ. And in the economy of God, friends, we only level up. Bridget was reunited with her daughter, and Bridget had a granddaughter that she hadn't seen because she was in prison. Bridget, I met up with Bridget on the screen. I met up with Bridget in Lubbock, Texas, who was still walking with the Lord. And just two months ago, Bridget came to the Father's house in Orange County, California with her fiance. She is still serving Jesus, and God is doing a miracle work in her life. So when I ask you to say nothing, I want the haters, the dissenters, and the demons in hell to hear you shout back nothing. Because nothing just happens. God took a pagan, Moabitess, who was barren, an immigrant, and allowed her to be in the family of God. And in Ruth chapter 3, she has this DTR with Boaz. She's basically like, boom me up, Bozo. Come on, you can do this, Boaz. Come on. Don't be a loser. Be a hero. You can marry me. Make this happen. She has a DTR, which is a defining the relationship talk with him, literally in your homework. You're going to discover it, Ruth chapter 3. And then we jump down to Ruth chapter 4. And here, Ruth's proposal was taken up by this amazing man of God. And in true fairy tale form, Boaz marries Ruth, and the woman who couldn't get pregnant gets pregnant with a baby by the name of Obed. Turn with me to chapter 4, verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The barren, widowed, outcast, pagan worshiper from Moab became a wanted wifey and a Moabitess mommy, right? This is the stuff that Disney fairy tales are made out of. And here's the best part. In the economy of God, we only level up. The book doesn't end there, like, and they lived happily ever after. No. No, 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 it's so much better than that. At the end of the book, there is something referred to as a genealogy. And don't trip out about the word. Genealogy is basically a Hebrew phone book of like your daddy's, 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 daddy's tribe, okay? And what they're doing is they're charting their heritage, they're charting their lineage. And go down to verse 18 of chapter four. This then is the family line of Perez. Pause, you didn't know that there was Latinos in the Bible, huh? This proved you wrong right here. Just kidding, just kidding. This then is the family line of Perez. Perez is the father of Hezron. Hezron's the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. Aminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon, and it's pronounced Salmon, but you know, tomato, tomato. Uh, Salmon's the father of Boaz. Boaz, the father of Obed. Obed, the father of Jesse. Jesse, the father of King David. Obed was the grandfather of King David. But in the economy of God, we only level up. The next time we see the name Ruth is in the New Testament. Her name is sandwiched in the genealogy 
of Jesus. So from Ruth and Boaz comes Obed, from Obed is Jesse, from Jesse is King David, and from King David is King Jesus. Nothing just happens. It's not over until God says it's over. God wants to do impossible things through you and in you, for you and for others. You might be sitting here thinking like, well, God didn't do it for him. God didn't do it for her. Why would God do it for me? Just because God hasn't done it for them doesn't mean he's not going to do it for you. Don't make excuses by all the things that you haven't seen happen. Start believing God and bring to him the burnt, broken, and bitter parts of your life to be used to make some soul food for other people who need this. I'm here to tell you that nothing just happens. No thing just happens. God is up to something. The first time I taught this book of Ruth was 15 years ago, and it was the first Bible study I had ever taught in my life. I never thought 15 years later that I would be in Springfield, Missouri, communicating not just to Joplin in the north and the west, but around the world to communicate the goodness of our God because that's not my story. I'm a first-generation American. My parents were immigrants to this country. I was illiterate. I couldn't read, write, or spell at the age of 12. I was morbidly obese. I weighed more than my father, living in the concrete jungles of East Los Angeles. Statisticians would have put me in a category highest prone to failure, but God. God took the broken and the burnt and the bitter pieces of my life to create soul food today. And so maybe you're here and you feel like Naomi. You feel like I'm old and tired and all hope is gone. What can God do? Maybe you feel like Ruth today where you're like, I'm barren and I'm empty and I'm sad and I'm alone. God isn't done because nothing just happens. God might be moving you out of the weird wilderness or maybe even moving you out of Moab and bringing you today to the house of bread because nothing just happens. No thing can wreck you. No sin can separate you from the love of God. No relationship can discount you. You are not too old. You are not too young. You are not too poor. You are not too rich. You are not too dumb. You are not too educated. The Spirit of God is beckoning to you today. Do you want to be used? Will you give over your pain? Will you give over your dreams? Will you give over your fears and let God use you? Here's the beautiful thing about coming to church is friends, you did not come on a random day. This has been preordained. This is what I believe, the decision that Ruth made in the hot desert dusty road of professing in one true God, change the trajectory of her life, and not just her life, but our faith. 2,000 years later, what can God do through you?